today on Not Sam Wrestling, an incredibly eventful start to 2023 and everything I missed in the 2022 recap and a lot more. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, first Not Sam Wrestling of 2023. Welcome, everybody. It's Not Sam Wrestling. I hope you're all doing well. I hope uh, New Year's was great for all of you. Hope you're able to to celebrate it in a wonderful way. No day one pay-per-view this year. I was a little disappointed. I was thinking about that on New Year's Day. How, like, since we all have, at least most of us, I guess depending on what kind of gig you've got, you know, for most jobs, January 2nd this year is the observed January 1st. So everybody's got January 2nd. Everybody's got the Monday off. So we could have had one of those wonderful Sunday night pay-per-views on a long weekend where you got nothing to worry about. Nothing better than a paper. That's why the Saturday pay-per-views are so good. Nothing better than a pay-per-view when you don't have to wake up the next day. You got nothing on your mind except the pay-per-view that's right in front of you. That's the way to do it. So I was bummed out that there was no uh, premium live event to watch on New Year's Day. But que sera, sera. We still have Not Sam Wrestling after all. And I want to thank everybody that uh, closed out the year strong for us. You know, uh, I tend to work in silence, as they say. You know, I don't... uh, I don't make the, uh, the 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 work part of this. I feel like the podcast belongs primarily focused on professional wrestling and telling the stories of professional wrestling. So I don't go, hey, do this for me, do that for me, do this for me, do that for me. I try to let the content speak for itself. But I was, uh, over the last week, specifically, uh, strategically updating content on the Not Sam Wrestling page with a goal in mind. I saw earlier in the week, we had 19,000 subscribers. And I said, it'd be tough, but if we could close out 2022 with 20,000 subscribers on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel, which is my secondary YouTube channel, I feel like it would be a major accomplishment. And not only did we do it, but we did it with two days heads up. I think like the end of the day, the 29th, the beginning of the day of the 30th, something like that. I think it might have been the end of the day of the 29th. We officially hit 20,000 subscribers. Uh, it really motivates me. That channel is only going to grow. You're going to see a ton of shorts, you know, little 60-second clips going up on that channel all the time, as well as video from the podcast every week and every interview that we do. So make sure you're subscribed to that Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. It's just going to grow and grow and grow over the next year, uh, I do want to say, before we get into where we're going, I wanted to take a minute to uh, talk about somebody that we lost uh, over the weekend, I want to say, or over the week. Uh, We lost Don West. I guess it was over the week because very classy move. Michael Cole on commentary uh, uh, gave a mention to the passing of Don West. Of course, Don West uh, was the announcer, the uh, uh, color commentator, for TNA Wrestling very early on uh, and for most of the years of formation, a lot of the really great TNA matches because TNA 
went on a run. There's a reason why, for a period of time, NXT evolved into NXTNA. Because TNA was so good. It was under the radar always, I felt like, but so good. And Don West and Mike Tanay was your commentary team for a lot of that great action. Um, I go back even further with Don West as a fan, as an observer. I may have met him once or twice. Um, but I remember as a kid being at my, uh, at my buddy's house for a sleepover and we're flipping around the channels late at night. And there's this guy, the most energetic guy that you've ever heard, screaming at the top of his lungs about these gem mint rookie cards. Gem mint rookie cards. And we're like, this guy's amazing. We didn't care anything about baseball cards, football cards, basketball cards, but I was transfixed. So was my buddy. We were sitting there. At 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, we were kids, so it was probably like 11 p.m., and we just thought we were real badass. But regardless, watching this guy on QVC sell these sports cards as if it was the most important bit of programming that you would see all day, if not all week. He sold it with his life. I said, this guy's amazing. And then, of course, he ended up coming into TNA, and I was like, oh, my God, the guy, the baseball card guy from QVC is here. And he very quickly, and that's a very difficult thing to do, a lot of people who are in the announcing world, sports world, whatever, will come in to the world of professional wrestling as a broadcaster and almost always will flake out because it's just such a, a, a separate world from everything else. Maybe it's because they're not salesmen. Maybe that's the secret, that Don West not only was this incredibly energetic guy, it's, he's one of those rare guys who he can create a passion for something and that passion can get you going. That that that's That's an X factor that not many people have, that when you can just become transfixed on somebody talking about something so passionately because their passion somehow seeps into your DNA, you got something there. I think the fact that Don West was able to do that, transfer his passion to his audience, but also at heart was a salesman. And ultimately, I think that in wrestling, especially in the broadcasting side of wrestling, if you're doing it right, you're ultimately a salesman. And there might be some people upset about that because they think that, you know, oh, you should be, it should be like sports and calling the moves and doing this and doing that. And yeah, that's part of it because maybe that's part of the sell, you know, talking about all the, all the moves and the damage they inflict and everything like that. But ultimately, when I'm on a pre-show, I'm selling you or attempting to sell you on the importance of the matches that you're about to see. Why? These matches are so important that you should be subscribing to Peacock to watch them. When you're on commentary for a wrestling show, I have to sell you on the fact that this match has a reason for being. Why? Because I want you to care. It's, it's not enough. It's a rare thing. When you get two guys that are good enough, or girls, two people that are good enough athletes that they can just have an exhibition match and it's enough for us all to be invested in. 
No, it's the story. And part of it is the performers in the ring, obviously. Most of it is the performers in the ring and what they do with their bodies and their faces that explain this story that's happening. But that's what the, that's what the commentators are doing. Is they're, is they're selling you on the story that you're seeing and why you should care. And I think that Don West was one of those guys who I can't think of anybody who has both of those skill sets from outside of the wrestling industry, transferring passion and selling, and was able to bring them into wrestling. And it wasn't an immediate, there he is, that's it. It was like, okay, he's got this, this foundation. And, and, and I think a lot of people that were watching TNA at the time got to watch this guy grow into somebody that was really special. And, and, and I don't think that we even realized it at the time, but now that a generation, honestly, has passed since that heyday of TNA, the, the AJ Styles, Samoa Joe era of TNA, you realize like, oh, that was a significant voice in a big part of my wrestling fandom. Um, and that's uh that's a that's a that's a really really great legacy to have, you know. I always hope when stuff like this happens that 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 it reminds other people of how legacy doesn't go away and how important legacy is. Um I was thinking about it as I was watching the Ric Flair documentary that just came out on Peacock. Creating Ric Flair. And it, I know another Ric Flair documentary. We saw it on 30 for 30. We saw it here. We saw it there. This is to me, if you're going to watch a Ric Flair documentary, even more so than the WWE evil one, which I think I'm on. So I should really be pushing you more towards WWE evil. But in terms of something, I think that one's like either 30 minutes or an hour. This is a nice, Two hour long, goes through his life. Now, Ric Flair is such a complicated guy and such a prolific sports entertainer that it is very difficult to go through that man's entire career. But they do a really good job of jumping back and forth uh, between Ric Flair the person and Ric Flair the character. And, And at multiple parts in this documentary, like I found myself, especially as they're going through the horseman era of Crockett and, and, and really the time that Ric Flair is really building in to this world champion that controlled, I mean, the Carolinas and way beyond. I mean, this was a national star. It made me want to like find Ric Flair and go, dude, I hope you're aware that you will live forever. That the stuff that you did is so important. This isn't just something, again, it's not just a sell job, right? The stuff that you have done is so important to so many people. It literally shaped a part of the industry. It doesn't take long when you talk about promos. When you talk about a guy like MJF, who are the only people MJF gets compared to. Originally, it was The Miz, not anymore. Everybody's sold on MJF. And since they're sold on him being this great talker, who do they compare him to? Piper and Flair. 
Flair is the benchmark. And it goes beyond professional wrestling. And that comes across really well, like to the point where I'm like, man, like it got me all fired up about how much I appreciate Ric Flair as a performer, you know, getting into his uh, WWE run and winning the Royal Rumble. And just thinking, I mean, and I think I made this point in the WWE Evil documentary, but Ric Flair in his promo, and, and, it, and it struck me in my adult life. It didn't really struck me as a, as a younger man, but in my adult life, it really struck me that he wins the Royal Rumble in 1992. And he says, with a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment of my life. And he stares down the camera lens and you don't doubt him for a second. He doesn't say this is the greatest moment in my career. This is the greatest moment in my professional life. This is my greatest accomplishment as a wrestler. He said it's the greatest moment in his life. This is a man who's been married. This is a man who's had children. This is the level of seriousness that he took the industry. Now, it doesn't make him a good dad. It doesn't make him somebody that you go, oh, I should try to be like him. But as a fan, you've got to appreciate the level of commitment that he was doing as a performer. It goes into the fact that he didn't, he wasn't there to support his first wife. He wasn't there to support his first daughter. You know, he didn't really become a, a major part of his children's life, apparently, until uh, his next generation of kids with, with Reed and uh, Charlotte, April, of course. But seeing him, and I, and I thought this one did a better job of, it let him tell his story. And there are things that you're going to object to, whether it's not supporting his family, whether it's the fact that he won't stop drinking, whether it's the fact that there are people trying to help him and he wouldn't accept that help. But he tells it to you. He tells it to you. And I thought it was just a really great watch for somebody that loves Ric Flair and somebody that loves professional wrestling. Uh, I think it's something that you'll really enjoy. I was kind of surprised. I was waiting for like some big quote or something because a big rivalry, IRL, in real life, spawned from this doc, apparently, between Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair. Ric Flair and Eric Bischoff have been going after each other on podcasts and, and Twitter accounts. And by the way, if I could say anything right now, because I'm seeing it too with like uh, Dax and Road Dog, Dax Harwood and Road Dog, and like, you know, I have watched the, the comedy podcast industry just start to become a, 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 an industry of cannibals, just feasting off themselves, where all they do on these comedy podcasts is talk about the drama going on amongst each other within their community. If there is one bit of wisdom as an outsider who has spent enough time in the podcast world that I could impart on the professional wrestlers who I love, do not use your podcast to go after each other. Even though it'll, it'll give you a bump. You'll get a bump. You get some your downloads up. You put out the YouTube clip. That'll go up. Your followers will go up. You'll get people who support you vehemently, which will feel great. You get people who don't support you, which, you know, 
If you got your supporters, you can the supporters will go after the people who don't support you. That'll feel great. But it's a you're not going to win. Nobody wins. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a cycle that that just destroys everything around it. So just tell your stories, you know. But uh, Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair started going after each other. And I think Eric has calmed down. I think it's kind of calmed down, right? Because I think Eric has been like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this. And Ric Flair's like, all right, well, it is what it is. I don't like you. Uh, but I didn't hear Eric say anything in the doc that I would think would upset Rick. Um, it might have just been bringing up uh, old wounds that Rick is still pissed about the way Eric treated him when Reed was, uh, was uh, uh, you know, a high school wrestler. And Eric was fairly unfair to Flair. Yeah, it could have been it. I don't know. I was surprised that Bruce Pritchard was as frank as he was, you know, saying that Rick was not a top guy and everything, which, I mean, I guess he wasn't the top guy, but, you know, he was a heel in a babyface territory. He won the world title. So I don't know. But I thought it was, uh, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really good doc and something worth, Checking out if you've got a little bit of time on your hands before you get back to work next weekend, whatever you want to do. Uh, I do want to bring up. So last week, I did the whole 2022 in review and I posted the video on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel. It's like 55 minutes or something like that. It's a long one. I don't know if it's a full 55, but it's, it's you know, we really, I mean, I tried to be as as extensive as I could. I tried to get everything. I didn't I didn't, I didn't want to miss anything, you know? So exactly. I uh uh let me see how long it is. Yeah, 52, 53 minutes. It's a long one. Hey guys, forgive the interruption, but I want you to know that support for today's episode comes from True Classic, the absolute best fitting t-shirts for men. I understand finding a comfy t-shirt is frustrating. Most t-shirts are too tight on your gut or look way too big. I've had horror shows in these t-shirts, especially as you get older. It's, they cling to all of the wrong parts. And so you end up buying an XL or something just so it doesn't cling and you look like you have a tent on and people assume there's a problem. Well, don't allow people to assume that anymore because true classic, it just fits better. Men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models. It's not going to work for guys like us. No, we're big galoots. All of True Classics gear is top-notch quality and, my favorite part, it's at reasonable prices. For you big boys, which I'm sure there are some of you, they say Not Sam Wrestling is where the big boys play after all. They have long body options and they size up to 3XL. It's time you learn to dress like a gentleman. Upgrade your wardrobe. With True Classic, you can get 25% off at trueclassic.com with code NOTSAM. That's 25% off and free shipping over $100 with the code NOTSAM at trueclassic.com. Put in N-O-T-S-A-M at trueclassic.com. Start the year looking right. You can thank me later. Somehow, even though the video is as long as it is, even though the podcast was as long as it was, I still miss stuff from 2022. Listen to what I missed. This is how much happened in 2022, and I got some emails 
to notsamwrestling at gmail.com that helped remind me of a couple of these things. And then I uh, remembered a couple of them myself. Went, ah, I forgot to mention that Mickey James was in the 2022 Royal Rumble. What? Not only was Mickey James in the 2022 Royal Rumble, and this was months before Cody Rhodes. This was before we even had a conversation about the fact that Cody Rhodes might be leaving AEW. Mickey James came back to the WWE for one night after all the drama that had occurred uh, with her release, uh, even though she was not only wrestling for other promotions, but was at the time the Impact Knockouts champion. And as a matter of fact, there were a lot of theories that, that Impact was going to have her lose the title at the pay-per-view before the Royal Rumble. That way she could do the Royal Rumble and and it wouldn't be weird that she wasn't wearing the Knockouts Championship. However, Mickey retained her title. And not only did she come to the ring for the 2022 Royal Rumble with the the Knockouts Championship on, another company's title around her waist. She came out to Hardcore Country. She's got WWE music. She came out to her Impact music with her Impact Championship around her waist and entered the Royal Rumble. You talk about forbidden doors. That was a big deal, especially in the closed off or traditionally historically closed off world of WWE. I forgot to mention uh, the whole Jeff Hardy saga. Jeff Hardy getting released from WWE after in the middle of a match at a live event, he hopped off the apron. It was a tag team match. Just started wandering through the crowd. He ends up getting released. He immediately goes to AE Dubs. He reunites with his brother. They start launching this thing that it looks like the Hardy Boys, like they did in WWE when they came back at WrestleMania 34 are going to do kind of like a Hardy Boys reunion thing. It'll do the Hardy Boys versus FTR, Hardy Boys versus the Bucks, Hardy Boys versus everybody. That was 2022. And Jeff Hardy ends up, uh, I believe, getting a DUI. I think that's what the charge was. And uh, hasn't been back on TV since. And then finally, the third thing that I forgot to mention is maybe the best WWE Hall of Fame speech of all time. The Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame as, and is inducted by the man himself, Vince McMahon. They, they cut down everybody's speeches this year to make sure that everybody had enough time but didn't go overboard. And then they, they filled the ring up with Undertaker memorabilia and just allowed him to do his thing. And he stood in that ring, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it was. It could have gone on for another three hours. I was transfixed. I could have been, I could have listened to him tell stories forever. It is no surprise to me that he is doing a one-man show, uh, you know, on tour in the same cities as WWE pay-per-views now. Because if you told me I could pay a ticket and just watch him do his Hall of Fame speech over and over again, I would watch it. A thousand percent. It was a great speech and definitely one because so much happened in 2022 that I feel like maybe hasn't been given enough looks. So that's something else you could watch within the next few days. Go back and watch the Undertaker's Hall of Fame induction speech. It was amazing. I think it was the first Hall of Fame back in front of a 
crowd, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And wow, what a moment. What a moment. Speaking of moments, I feel like the industry as a whole has just decided they're not going to miss a beat, that they are running in to 2023 guns blazing. Because what a major start to the year we already had. Let's talk about this. There's footage of it everywhere. I don't know where you can find the full match to just watch it back. But there are a ton of video clips all over Twitter. Look it up. Talk about the forbidden door. Talk about the unthinkable. January 1st, the first day of 2023, Shinsuke Nakamura, that was by Rick Boogs, makes his return to Japan on a card for pro wrestling Noah to face the great Muta as far as, as part of Muta's retirement tour. I believe with every fiber of my being that Muta will be in the Royal, I mean, will be in the Hall of Fame this year. He could be in the Royal Rumble. I wouldn't be shocked if Muta showed up for a spot in the Rumble, get him in a WWE ring. But I believe with every fiber of my being that the great Muta will go into the WWE Hall of Fame this year. And he absolutely should. Even if you don't want to use the Japanese footage, which I would bet a lot of money. WWE will get a license to use a lot of Japanese footage. But there's a ton of WCW footage of the Great Muta that WWE already owns the rights to. They could easily put out a Great Muta playlist just of the stuff he did in WCW. Hopefully, they're going to get the rights to this match. We got to see Shinsuke Nakamura versus the Great Muta in Japan. And I guess, I think I had forgotten. You know, I knew I loved... Shinsuke Nakamura. And I never forgot the level of enthusiasm that I had for him at Wrestle Kingdom towards the end of his New Japan run when he was the king over there. He's just the, the biggest star in the world in Japan. I, I, I never forgot that necessarily. But I think I had gotten too familiar with Shinsuke Nakamura, and I had forgotten when it gets turned on, how magical it is. Because that's what we got at Pro Wrestling. No, we got the Shinsuke Nakamura that we saw at NXT TakeOver, okay? I had forgotten. We got the Shinsuke Nakamura that won the Royal Rumble in Philadelphia. I had forgotten, because we haven't seen it, you know, Shinsuke is back to using his original music. When he turned heel, they changed his music, I believe, so that people wouldn't sing along to it. They added lyrics that we couldn't really understand because they were in a different language. So that, that way people wouldn't go, oh, ah, 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 because it's so contagious. I don't care if he's a baby face a heel, a tweener. I don't care what he is. I'm singing the music. So they brought back the music and 
you know, they had, uh, you know, a year ago, Rick Boogs ripping it up on guitar, which was a great addition. But at, at Pro Wrestling Noah in Japan, they brought out the violinist. And I had forgotten about the violinist. I had forgotten how much I, I, how much I loved seeing a dude out there just tearing up a violin. There is nothing because the violin is such a traditional classical school instrument. You learn how to play the violin in high school. When somebody plays the violin cool and with passion and with fire, there's nothing like it. It's so cool to watch. And that's what we get. And I had forgotten what it was like when Shinsuke had a live violinist with him as he came to the ring. And Shinsuke came out and he had this amazing robe on that went shoulders to toe and these sleeves that draped all the way down to the floor in all white. You couldn't eat wings in that robe, but you can go to the ring and have a very special match in that robe. And he came out and it's like the king is back. The king of strong style, the king of whatever. When you sat there and watched Nakamura in New Japan, in NXT, you saw a guy who was like a mixture of this amazing strong style kick your ass wrestler who even had MMA experience but also had the charisma of like David Bowie and Prince, Michael Jackson with the crown and everything. And you're like, this is a special, special thing. And I watched that even just the entrance going, man, I hope Hunter sees this. And I'm, I'm sure Hunter will see it. I hope Hunter Hearst Helmsley sees this match and goes, yeah, we got to bring that Nakamura back. Because... Even stripped down, Nakamura is still the man. Like even in the state that he's been in, he's still awesome to watch. So you forget, oh no, it gets a lot better because it's already good. I hope Triple H saw it and goes, oh yeah, oh yeah, we got to turn this up a level. But Shinsuke came out, the great Muta came out. They had a great match. Street fight rules, weapons involved, the whole deal. The finish was just genius. I had such a good time with the finish of this match because, you know, Shinsuke got misted at one point. And it looked like Muta was going to miss him again. Shinsuke grabs Muta by the head, plants one right on his lips, gets the poison out of Muta's mouth into Shinsuke Nakamura's mouth. Somehow, because it's mixed with the body chemistry of one Shinsuke Nakamura, the mist goes from being red with Muta to green with Nak. Shinsuke, now that he's got the power, mists Great Muta. Great Muta grabs his face and Shinsuke hits him with a keen shasa that looked like that finisher is supposed to look. It looked like he took his knee and jumped in the air and beheaded the great Muta. 
like they're like you don't look at that move the way he did it in Japan and go, I wonder how that finished him off. You go, oh, that finishes off everybody. That's an equalizer. There's gonna be two hits. My knee hitting your face and your face hitting the ground. That's it. One, two, three. Wow, wow, wow. Shinsuke Nakamura comes out on top uh, and embraces the great Muta. The two of them have uh, uh, an embrace. There's this great shot of Shinsuke celebrating in the ring and Muta halfway down the ramp looking back. Almost like Hogan in WrestleMania six, but less like, I'm going to come back and steal that guy's thunder. It was, uh, it was awesome. Awesome to see. And then, of course, Nock uh, joins him down the ramp. And, uh, and yeah, the two of them get together. And, and Shinsuke Nakamura had called, has, is calling it a miracle. He's like, it's not just a surprise. It's not just lucky. It's not just unheard of. It's a miracle that this match is happening and, and did happen. So I'm very happy for Muta. I'm very happy for Nock. I'm very happy for all of us that this is the wrestling world that we get to live in. Royal Rumble's taking shape, as I said. Who knows? We see John Cena on SmackDown. Is he going to be in the Rumble? Rumors are buzzing and buzzing and buzzing that The Rock might be in the Royal Rumble. That they're that they, if they're going to go Rock Roman, and who knows if they are, nobody's got that uh, confer, confirmed one way or the other, that maybe The Rock comes in and wins the Royal Rumble. We know Kofi's going to be in the Rumble. We've got Ricochet versus no one hotter top dollar next week on SmackDown. And I'll tell you, that's maybe why I'm feeling that 2023 has already been so eventful. Because I'm coupling the 1230 SmackDown with 2023. Because the 1230 SmackDown, the last WWE show of the year, was such a push forward the likes of which I don't remember the last time we saw. It felt like every segment on the show was a push forward. And when we were going over 2022 last week, I guess I had forgotten that things didn't get awesome for WWE until well after Royal Rumble. WrestleMania 37, 38 in Dallas is one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time. It's got to be the best WrestleMania at least since 30. People love WrestleMania 30. Brock beating Undertaker. Daniel Bryan winning. I mean, it's going to be tough to beat 30. But WrestleMania 38 two nights is just about as good as you're going to get for WrestleMania. And it was so good that I think people forgot that the Royal Rumble was not great leading up to it. At the beginning of 2022, you also had, you know, day one getting all screwy, as we talked about last week, with Big E losing the title, Roman Reigns not being in the main event, the whole deal. So I really feel like from SummerSlam until now has been almost Triple H allowing himself to get his grounding and go like, okay, this is what we're going to do, right? And a little bit of trial and error, sure. But he's had August, September, October, November. He's got he's had five full months because it's basically he takes over at SummerSlam, right? He's had five full months thus far 
to shape what this product is going to look like and what what his systems are going to be, how the shows are going to be written, you know, what the what the psychology is behind the decisions that get made. I think now, I think starting now is when we get the pedal to the metal. I mean, already, you look at next week's SmackDown and you've got like the Usos defending against, isn't it Drew McIntyre and Sheamus? You've got the Royal Rumble qualifier. You've got all this stuff already in a big matches already announced for SmackDown next week. This week's SmackDown, I thought was amazing, right? Because the whole, throughout the whole episode, you're building this story with, with the bloodline, with Sammy, with Roman. You've got Sammy Zayn clearly getting manipulated by Paul Heyman. First of all, I love the line when Paul comes out and he goes, Sammy, how was your Hanukkah? And then Sammy goes, ah, hopefully as good as your Ramadan. And I was like, that's what a great, it's so good, so good. But Paul, you know, bringing up the fact that they were chanting Sammy, right? And the, and the, and the money here is that Paul brings up, well, not that this should bother him, but you never know. They were chanting Sammy. Did you hear that? I don't know if that's so good. It's like, oh, Paul Heyman is manipulating Sammy Zayn. And then Sammy goes into the office few segments later and he talks to Roman and he asks the question that didn't bother you did it and by the way this is this is what you want in wrestling storytelling this is not where a month ago six weeks ago they were like yeah and then we'll get to this week's Smackdown and 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 Sammy will be concerned over everybody chanting his name you can't write that until everybody chants his name this means that WWE is watching the product, something a lot of you should be doing, watch the product, who's to say, and going, oh, look at them, they're chanting Sammy, that should probably come up. Logically speaking, the bloodline should be aware of the fact that the fans are so loudly chanting for Sami Zayn. Let's not pretend this isn't happening. Let's have the bloodline react to it. And that's what we're seeing. So, it's so clearly manipulation because Paul Heyman's the one who brings it up privately to Sammy. And then when Sammy brings it up to Roman publicly in front of the whole bloodline, Paul Heyman has this look on his face like, why would you ask him? Oh, no, no, no. And it's like, because of you, Paul. Because of you. And uh, Roman goes, no, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I loved seeing uh, 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 Roman's face. I talk about Roman's face a lot. He's got a good face. But the way he was reacting to Sammy in the beginning of that tag match, when Sammy was was, was getting the you-know-what pounded out of him, and Roman was just looking like in total disappointment. He wasn't like, oh, I got you. Come here, tag me in, Sammy. Or, oh, I hope he's okay. He was looking at him like, what are you doing? This? This is what you have for me? This is what you bring to the tribal chief? Loved it. Loved it. But let's get it. And, and then, well, let's get into the whole thing, okay? So so I love that through line going. Start at the top of SmackDown this week, right? I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I think I should be honest with you guys. I think that's one of the strengths of the relationship that we have, that I am honest with you. I'll be honest. I started to experience some Wyatt fatigue. 
Now, I am the biggest Bray Wyatt fan you will ever meet. I've been a Bray Wyatt fan. I was a fan of Bray Wyatt and NXT. I was a fan of the original Wyatt family gimmick. I was a fan of Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy as a tag team. I was willing to watch the Demon versus Sister Abigail at Survivor Series that year if it were to happen. I think it was Survivor Series. Who's not a fan of The Fiend? You've heard what I've said about the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena. Just one of the most brilliant pieces of material that WWE has ever put out. I'm a Bray Wyatt fan. So many Bray Wyatt action figures just on the other side of the room. I love Bray Wyatt. I was treated to a surprise. On uh, the day after Christmas, I took uh, comedian Robert Kelly and his young son, Max, to their first WWE live event, and we took Hot Dog with us. Yes, he got to hang with Hot Dog. But we went to the, the Madison Square Garden holiday live event, which is a tradition. Great show, but they had advertised that Bray Wyatt was gonna be there. I assumed that meant he would cut a promo before intermission. All of a sudden, first half of the show, Jinder Mahal comes out. I'm like, yeah, don't hinder Jinder, baby. We get to see Jinder, baby. And then he challenges anybody in the locker room. Open challenge. He's not respected. And he wants to be respected. He'll beat anybody to prove it. And Bray's music starts playing, his new music. Freak out, freak out, freak out. Huge pop from the Madison Square Garden audience. Everybody loves him. And he goes and he has a match. We saw his first match back. And I did see there were some people... And I guess he worked uh, matches on a couple of the other live events as well after the Garden Show. But for the record, I was sitting in the audience for his first match back, for the record. But I saw that there were some people that were uh, going, you know, I wish they would have done this on TV. I wish his first match would have been televised. I wish that, I mean, number one, we all get to see clips, you know? Now, everybody's got their phone out. But number two, and most importantly, he hasn't wrestled since what? WrestleMania 37? Did he wrestle after the Randy match? It's been like a year and a half. Maybe he did. It's been well over a year since he wrestled. Let's let him get his sea legs out from under him. Let's let him, let's let him exercise a little bit. Let's let him see, oh, okay, that's right. This is how this feels. That's what those live events are all about. That's why a lot of times you'll see like if if uh, like Braun and Roman, before Braun and Roman were on pay-per-view, they were wrestling every live event imaginable. I would have, well, I was going to get into Walter and Braun, but that's already happening, so maybe not. But point is, based on the SmackDown segments, I felt like they were starting to get a little bit repetitive, and I felt like we weren't getting enough answers, that Bray had been back. We Bray had been shown as the white rabbit at extreme rules or the white rabbit had led to Bray Wyatt. And we had not gotten very many answers since then. We get this idea that uncle Howdy is, is controlling Bray or uncle Howdy is the one that releases the, the uh, evilness that's inside Bray that he's trying to keep under a leash kind of, but the answers stopped flowing. And then this, Story with LA Knight started, and I, was, I wasn't getting a lot out of it until Friday. And let me tell you something. I loved 
the Friday Bray Wyatt segment. It was exactly what I needed as a Bray Wyatt fan. Not only did we get that confirmation that we are getting our match between LA Knight and Bray Wyatt, but the new Uncle Howdy, because, I mean, maybe that was part of it, right? When Uncle Howdy came out, it didn't exactly look like somebody who was ready to fight last week. You know? He looked a little, you know, he was big. With that weird full face mask on and everything. This Uncle Howdy comes out. Clearly a different person. Looking face to face with Bray. Although... The physical similarities between Bray and Uncle Howdy were striking. It was a great, when they were in the shadows and you couldn't see all the details and you just saw Bray and Uncle Howdy standing face to face, almost as if it was a mirror with the same position, hands down at their sides. I thought it was just a brilliant execution of storytelling. Loved it. Uncle Howdy gets in the ring. He's now got, Hair that appears to be natural and long. Looks like his real hair. His mouth is cut out from his mask and you still see he's got that big white goatee, but it's a real goatee. It's his real mouth. It looks almost like a larger version of the Undertaker Phantom of the Opera mask. And you see a guy who under that trench coat does look like he might be able to F you up. Look like an athletic guy. And... There's this great moment, and I'm so glad that they thought about every little detail, right? Where Uncle Howdy drops Bray with the sister Abigail, which nobody saw coming. And instead of L.A. Knight, because if L.A. Knight had either stayed in the ring or he'd rolled out of the ring and laughed and just gone, ha ha, you know, you're down and I don't like you. Then speculation would have been as Uncle Howdy working for L.A. Knight, and I feel like that would have been dumb. But instead... Even though Uncle Howdy took out Bray, L.A. Knight was frightened. L.A. Knight escaped from the ring and said, what's going on here? And he was scared. And then things went black. And I was like, yeah, as Uncle Howdy left the ring. And I went, yeah, this is what I love. You know, there are pictures on the internet, more, much more detailed photos with a flash where you can kind of see the details of Uncle Howdy. Still have no idea who he is. If I had to guess, if I had to put money down, I think the Bo Dallas theory is probably pretty good. But who knows if we will ever see who Uncle Howdy is? Who? Maybe that's not the point. Maybe, maybe, maybe the the reveal of who Uncle Howdy is isn't the point. If he's not wearing that big rubber mask, he can wrestle in the mask that we saw him with on SmackDown. Maybe Uncle Howdy is just Uncle Howdy. He clearly, clearly has a lot of resemblance to Barry Windham. Maybe Uncle Howdy is just this amalgamation. Uncle Howdy is Uncle Howdy. Could be Bo Dallas under the mask. Maybe we'll never know. But what I started to realize is, well, clearly, Uncle Howdy really is in charge. And Uncle Howdy, I would imagine, is not Bray Wyatt at this point. What if for the first time, because Bray has always done these things where everything centers around Bray. The Wyatt family, you know, Luke Harper, Eric Rowan, Braun Strowman, their last name's not Wyatt. It's called the Wyatt family because it is Bray Wyatt's family. It is a Charles Manson-like cult where he is clearly the one in charge and giving the orders. He's also the one who's in charge of recruitment. 
when we get to the Firefly Funhouse, even though all of the characters are essentially Bray and it's just traveling through his brain, it's still all centered around Bray Wyatt. What if Bray Wyatt has brought to WWE this story where this isn't Bray's story? What if Bray is just a branch of the Uncle Howdy story? What if Uncle Howdy's been hiding in plain sight? What if the focus has been removed? What if Bray is not the one who's leading the charge anymore? What if Bray is just one of the soldiers? You know, people were speculating if this is going to be built into a faction, who are Bray's new followers going to be? You're going to have Uncle Howdy. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. No, 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 no. The way I see it, we're building a story where Uncle Howdy is the one who would be building an army. Uncle Howdy is the influencer. Uncle Howdy is the one who's commanding Bray. Uncle Howdy just laid out Bray Wyatt. Bray will be right back to him. It's the type of thing Bray would do to initiate somebody into his former family, right? What if Alexa Bliss, who I would think is going to be involved in this? We watched the Raw Before Christmas great segment with Alexa Bliss and Bianca Belair in that room together. And we've seen Alexa, first we just saw the, the, the Wyatt or whatever it is, symbol flash on the screen and Alexa just kind of made a cringe and it kind of grew and grew and grew to the point where, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, she almost Sister Abigail's Bianca. And then two weeks ago, in the middle of the interview segment, the thing flashes, Alexa picks up a, a vase and smashes it over Bianca Belair. I thought it was great. Really enjoyed it. What if Alexa isn't joining Bray? What if Alexa's joining Uncle Howdy? What if it's Uncle Howdy that is talking to Alexa? The same way Uncle Howdy is talking to Bray. What if Uncle Howdy is the thing that is tying all these things together? Bray maybe has explored himself, especially through that Fiend character, as far as one can explore themselves. What if we're going past Bray into this other essence? And that essence is Uncle Howdy. What if, as we're gearing up this Bray Wyatt story, as we're associating Bray Wyatt with the White Rabbit, what if Bray's not the White Rabbit? Or what if Bray is the white rabbit and he was trying to escape the whole time? And what he was trying to escape was Uncle Howdy and all the vignettes and everything that Bray has been telling us has been, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to be a normal guy. I want to be Wyndham Rotunda. But Uncle Howdy is stopping that. And Uncle Howdy, not Bray Wyatt, is this new essence that's been dropped on the WWE.
Just a theory I'm working with. You know I love my Wyatt theories. All we can do is hope that the Mountain Dew pitch black match will be better than the zombie match. So that's what we're looking at, apparently, for the Royal Rumble. That uh, that uh, Bray Wyatt versus LA Knight is finally going to happen. It's going to happen at the Royal Rumble. And it's going to be a Mountain Dew pitch black match. Now, Mountain Dew pitch black is a soda pop. It's, it's you know, Mountain Dew's green. Uh, Mountain Dew... I don't know, Sierra Nevada. I don't know what, there's a red Mountain Dew. There's a blue Mountain Dew. There's a black Mountain Dew called Mountain Dew Pitch Black. I think that this has a lot of potential. You know, I feel like it makes sense. I think that you'll see a match performed in the dark, but with spotlights running the whole time, maybe random spotlights come up. You saw when like uh, uh, Uncle Howdy was in the ring, they were moving the spotlights around. I think you'll see a lot of that. And I think it has the uh, potential to be a lot of fun to see at the Rumble. Uh, I think that in terms of also moving forward, I was watching that Solo Sokoa versus Sheamus match, and there is no doubt in my mind, two weeks ago I made the prediction that Solo was going to be an opponent for Rome. Roman's going to turn babyface. Solo's going to be his heel opponent. They are getting Solo ready. I believe that with every fiber of my being. Question about Hit Row turning heel. I didn't think Hit Row was turning heel based on the segment, you know, because they were getting goofed on in the locker room for Top Dollar, No One Hada, jumping over the, or, or, you know, botching when he was jumping over the top rope last week. And, or, yeah, I think it was last week. And maybe two weeks ago. And I, didn't, I was like, yeah, of course he would be pissed off about that. But when Michael Cole and Wade Barrett both started making fun of him, then I was like, maybe we're doing a heel turn. Because, oh, when Michael Cole wants to point out that you're doing something stupid, oh, there is nobody better. It is so enraging. The way he goes, well, it was stupid. Why would somebody that big try to jump over the top rope? It was like, oh, my God. Because he's right. And he just says it with such disdain. That's why Michael Cole is a heel with such a just hateable it's beautiful i love it surprise we got the announcement that we're getting braun Strowman versus gunther next week at smackdown i figured we would wait for the royal rumble um i feel like braun Strowman, uh, uh gunther versus brock is where we're going i think that we will get our gunther braun match next week but i don't think we'll have a straight finish i think it'll lead to a match at the royal rumble i think Gunther conquers Sheamus. Gunther conquers Strowman. Now Gunther's got to conquer Brock. That seems to me like it it makes sense. Um, I was so happy to see Charlotte Flair back. I'm a big Charlotte Flair fan. And there are some people, you know, even in our own uh, Patreon Discord, patreon.com slash Wrestling. There were some people that were saying that Charlotte is is stale. I didn't find the return to be stale at all. I mean, you know, you could say that Charlotte is champion is stale because she's always champion. Meanwhile, Roman Reigns has been champion for 800 days, and I'll take 800 more, maybe 900 days at this point. I don't think just having the title a lot makes you stale. Storylines can make you stale. And I'm not saying Charlotte has never been involved in a stale storyline. But the fact is that Charlotte came back 
She came back with new attire. She came back with a new theme song. Most importantly, she appears to be a baby face. Charlotte Flair came back as a good guy. A total departure from where she was when she left. And she beat Ronda Rousey. But she did it in such a way where Ronda Rousey accepted the match out of pure hubris. Just a terrible, terrible move accepting that match. She shouldn't have done it. She had a competitive three-segment match with Raquel Gonzalez, which she gave a lot to Raquel for. She gave a lot to Raquel in that match, which uh, I thought was great for, for Raquel. But clearly, Charlotte had that advantage, and Ronda Rousey made a mistake. It leads us to getting a Charlotte-Ronda match, which will also probably be at the Royal Rumble. Um, I didn't see anything on that show that made me feel like Charlotte was stale. And not only that, but this is a theory, and I will probably have this conversation on a future episode of this podcast. But I'm starting to develop a theory. And you can email me, as you did after the 2022 in review, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. I am starting to think Charlotte Flair may be the greatest women's wrestler of all time. Now, I understand there's a recency bias there, but even with, you know, Moolah or whoever having the women's championship as long as they did, women's wrestling just wasn't what women's wrestling is now. So you could, you can categorize it in a lot of different ways, but I will even say of the modern era, Charlotte is the greatest by a lot. And I'm interested in your feedback before I really develop this into a full-fledged uh, monologue because I surely, surely will. But I was thrilled to see Charlotte Flair back on SmackDown. It's a huge amount of star power that we haven't had on SmackDown since May. Big deal. She hasn't been around as part of the Triple H regime. We have not seen what Triple H does with Charlotte. And Charlotte was a Triple H discovery for lack of a better term. Charlotte was one of Triple H's original NXT bibbies. So I have... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this. And then we got to the main event, which uh, one of the biggest SmackDown matches of the year for sure. Coming in last, it's uh, Kevin Owens and John Cena versus Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. Huge position for both Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. The fact that they are clearly positioning Kevin Owens to be in this very, very, very credible position to be a challenger for Roman Reigns. Uh, the fact that Sami Zayn is not out of place in a match with Roman Reigns and John Cena and even the person who's being groomed to be Roman Reigns' next big opponent. Uh, there were a couple things I noticed about Cena. First of all, what was really interesting about this match is it was not about John Cena. And the first observation I have about that is that it leads you to believe what's John Cena going to do next? Because there was nothing in that match that made you believe John Cena's back for WrestleMania season. John Cena might not be back for a year. Nothing in that match. There was no unfinished business 
There was no nothing. And John Cena didn't even come with any sort of personal beef or rivalry. It looked like John Cena was just having fun. His facial expressions expressed just a guy having fun. He wasn't mad at Roman, wasn't mad at Sammy. Just wanted to have one match for 2022 so he can say he's wrestled every year for 20 years. That's all. And just have a good time. So with that said, it had the makings of a one and done. And with that said, I don't think it'll be a one and done. I just don't think that when John Cena does come back for whatever story he's coming back for, it will have anything to do with Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, or Roman Reigns. I also think that it says everything you need to know about John Cena, that there are a lot of people who have legendary status that would not come back as selflessly as John Cena did on SmackDown. It wasn't a pay-per-view. It was an episode of SmackDown. John Cena came out first. Kevin Owens came out first, obviously, but John Cena did not take that second entrance. Roman Reigns got it because Roman Reigns is the top dog in the company. Now, if John Cena had said, I'm not doing this, I'm, I'm getting the last entrance, I'm John Cena, he would have gotten it. I have no doubt in my mind he would have gotten it. John Cena also allowed them to tell the story of maybe he won't get in the ring. You know, he didn't do that much until the final part. And I think the biggest part for me was that John didn't take the pin. John tagged Kevin Owens and allowed Kevin Owens to take the pin. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, obviously it's what's best for business. Kevin Owens is the one who's going to be pushed towards the next pay-per-view. Roman Reigns is the top guy. Like, why would John Cena take that for himself? Because of a thing called ego. People who are performers in professional wrestling or anywhere else have this wonderful thing called an ego. And you can go back in history and, and, and see countless instances of utter selfishness that occur when the only person that benefits from a legend's return is that legend. And sometimes it's not the legend's call and sometimes it is the legend's call. But I will tell you this, if the legend wanted it to go a different way, especially if that legend is John Cena, on this episode of SmackDown, it's going a separate way. Can John Cena get a pinfall over Roman Reigns? No, they wouldn't allow that to happen. Can John Cena get a pinfall over Sami Zayn? If he says, that's what I want to come back to, I should be the one getting the pin. It's my comeback. Yeah, they'd give it to him. I believe, I think. But he didn't take it. Because John Cena's business first. And you can go back through his whole career. I've made the point before. You can go back through WrestleManias. After he beat The Rock, he never made an event at a WrestleMania again. Because he's business. Roman beat him twice. Roman beat him on the way out once. And it didn't do what it needed to do. So John Cena came back so Roman could beat him again. And that time it did what it needed to do. He's business. Cena took an F5 from Brock Lesnar off television on SummerSlam when Lesnar returned. Why? Why? You could have had that off-air pop because he's business. John Cena is business. And I absolutely love it. Do what's right for the business. If you're loving the show, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. If you don't want to pay the extra money, just listen to this podcast every single week and Subscribe to our YouTube channel for free, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. You can hit me up in the email box, notsamwrestling at gmail.com. 
Happy 2023. Let's have another great year together. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.